What's up, Disciple Makers? You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm so glad you're joining me for today's episode. We've got Paul Hugobard and Shadonke Johnson continuing their conversation from the previous episode. This is a track session that happened at this year's National Disciple Making Forum. This is Renew.org's third track session. Paul and Shadonke continue to share how a disciple making movement can emerge here in North America. Paul describes what he's implementing in his church about how to pray and seek out revival in their ministries. And Shadonke tells us amazing stories of church planting and disciple making movements and just miracles that God is doing in Africa. But they both provide something that we all need practical optimism for the church moving forward. If you're anything like me, that's something that you definitely need a healthy dose of, is that believing that this is possible here in the States. God can do this because he is bigger than anything that's going on in the world around us. All right, y'all, let's jump in and hear from Paul and Shidanke. Here we go. Hey, I'm Jason, and uh, I'm with Renew.org. We're sponsoring this next breakout. Uh, I'm excited to reintroduce you to uh, Paul Hugobart and Shadonke Johnson, um, but uh, just tell you a little bit about Renew first in case you did not see part one of this uh, this morning. Uh, Renew.org is a network of churches and church leaders and everyday disciple makers who uh, just want to celebrate good biblical theology. Uh, we call it the teachings of Jesus that fuel disciple making. Um, and really, we just want to create resources so that when we win disciples, those disciples have clarity of exactly what we're winning them to. Um, in this session, it is part two of disciple-making movements for the established church. Paul is not only the lead minister of Grace Chapel in the Atlanta area, but he's also a part of our network, uh, an associate director, in fact, and he's been leading. He's sort of been tip of the spear on this uh, satellite project we have where we go and we uh, explore disciple-making movements around the world, we find out uh, what it is about them that we can translate and bring back and use practically in the established church to shift uh, towards a, uh, a disciple-making uh, church and hopefully uh, start a revival and a, and a disciple-making movement here in North America. Shadonke Johnson is one of our uh, subjects to study. Uh, Shadonke has been a really good friend uh, to Renew.org. He's a part of our network, and he is, in fact, a disciple-making movement leader. Um, and the statistics, you just you hear some of the statistics and you just shake your head like it's almost impossible to believe. Uh, but as, as Shadonke said, God is an impossibility specialist. We were just talking before this event. I'll just I'll throw another one out there for you guys to chew on. Uh, it, I almost feel like Jeff Foxworthy, like you know you're part of an exponential disciple-making movement when um, he has a thing that they do every so often called MegaFest. And it is this big conference festival that they do in Africa where they call in all of their church planters. But there is a bar you have to hit. Not just any church planter in the movement can come. And I was talking to him. I said, hey, how many people do you get at MegaFest? He goes, oh, five, 6,000 people come together. And they and we share practices on planting churches, this and that. And I said, and and tell me again, what is the bar that these church planters have to hit in order to come to Megafest? He said, oh, well, because of COVID, we had to lower the bar. You only have to have planted three churches to come to Megafest. <laughs> and so, uh, so with that, let me uh, introduce you to Paul and Shadonke. Help me welcome them. Yo, thank you for being back uh, with us for uh, the, this conversation about disciple-making principles within the North American church. And I want to, if, if you weren't here for the first session, we're going to do just a, a very quick recap of what these eight principles are. There's an article that, that I wrote called A Principled Approach that you can find on discipleship.org, or you can use this QR code right now, and it should pull it up for you. And in this, you'll see discuss these eight principles in further detail to what we'll be able to discuss them uh, this morning. In the first session, we talked about the first principle. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that one very quickly, but our primary focus in this second session is going to be principle two. The reason we're talking about the first and second principles primarily and really focusing on those is if we don't get these two things in place, the rest of it really doesn't matter. And the rest of it likely won't happen. 
So you'll see why as we introduce you to these principles. Again, you can go back and uh, read that article as you go. So uh, these principles were developed in uh, in conjunction with um, men like Shadanke Johnson and uh, Josh Howard, who's a DMM guy in India, a guy named Curtis Sargent, who's been over in Asia and is now living here back stateside, and others as well that have helped us think through what is happening in disciple-making movements that frankly is not happening here. Or all these things together are not happening here. As, uh, as our friend Harry Brown likes to say, you know, we're, we're baking a cake. And if we had eight ingredients, we need all eight ingredients in that cake. Mm-hmm. If we just took two, we'd get something other than a cake. It would not be a cake. And so we need to get all these things working within North American churches and then hope that out of that, God will respond and that we'll see movement. So let me walk you through these principles quickly so that hopefully we'll have a little bit of time at the end for uh, for conversation and questions. We didn't have that in the first session, so hopefully we will in this one. Okay, here are the principles. We talked about this one already. The first one, radical dependence upon the Holy Spirit witnessed through in-depth fasting and prayer that empowers the mission. And what we say about that is this. It's that the people of God are radically dependent upon the presence of God for the work of God. Mm-hmm. In other words, this is God work, God's work and we're joining him in it. Our joining him in it is, is an expression of our faithfulness to what he's doing and our calling to come do it along with him, to be his hands and feet. And we can talk a little bit, I had some questions about uh, how's this looking, what does this look like practically within the North American churches? And we can talk about that just a, just a little bit, because especially I think the question was about baby steps, Shadonke. Shadonke likes to say that we start small to end mm-hmm. big. And so uh, several years ago in conversation with Shadonke, I walked away a little bit overwhelmed about what was being done in Sierra Leone, asking the question about what could be done here within my church context. And so we just decided the first thing that we were going to add is a time of weekly prayer where we got everybody that wanted to be together together on a Monday morning from 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. We've been doing that faithfully now for four Amen. years, praying for renewal, revival, and awakening in this nation, and that God would use us as his instruments. Now, that's expanded. I'm now part of a group of local pastors within our area that on Wednesdays, we get together as well. We pray, all of us together, for renewal, revival, and awakening, and that God would use us as his instruments. So that was just the first step that we took in that. Then we realized that people need to embrace these habits personally as well. And so we went through times of prayer and fasting to begin the year, just as they do in Sierra Leone. Maybe not quite as they do in Sierra Leone, because remember, we're taking baby steps. Baby steps. We're starting small to end big. And so this past year, we invited all the folks within our congregation to pray two prayers daily. And we said, we said, set an alarm for this as well. One of our guys, Greg, is back there. And so he was part of this experience with us. So every morning at 10.02, and my alarm still goes off at 10.02 in the morning. I've got to be careful at conferences like this because you never know what's going to be going on at 10.02. But at 10.02, my alarm goes off and I pray Luke 10.2, asking that God would send workers into the harvest, believing that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. The problem is not with the Lord of the harvest, it's with the workers. So God raise us up and send us. And then every day we asked our our folks during that time of prayer and fasting, would you also join with us in praying at 436, Colossians 4, 3 through 6, which by the way, these are scriptures that were part of the article that we discussed uh, just, just a little bit earlier in the first session. And so when we pray Colossians 4, 3 through 6, what we're asking is, God, would you open doors for the message? Because again, as Shadanka has said so many times, God opens doors that no one can close. God opens doors that no one can close. So God, would you open doors for the message? Then would you give us the ability to go and communicate clearly and faithfully the mystery of Christ? God, would you be the God of opportunities? God, would you make us the people that make the most of every opportunity? Season our conversations well, so that for you we might make the most of every opportunity. I've had a group of folks that I've invited into recently realizing that God calls us into deeper levels of discipline all the time. So I've got a group of folks that I've invited recently, six months ago or so, I started praying a prayer that is not an easy prayer for me to pray. Not not necessarily because of the prayer, but because of the time that I'm praying that prayer. So I'm waking up at 424 in the morning to pray Acts 4, 24 through 30. It's an incredibly powerful prayer. Where, where the disciples have just experienced their first real pushback to the gospel message. 
and to sharing it. And together they pray as a group, in spite of the threats that are coming against us, God, would you make us bold so we can speak the message boldly. Mm. And then they pray for signs and wonders. And then when they're done praying for signs and wonders, what I've been praying for is God would shake the places where we meet just as he did in the first century. Shake the places and shake the people. Mm. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can go truly be those bold kind of people that you want us to be. So bit by bit, we're incorporating some of these things. So those are some of the baby steps that we've been taking. This has been a process over roughly four years. And and just every now and then, God reveals, here's the next level. Here's the next layer that I want you to incorporate. All right, this next one we're not going to talk about right now because this is actually where we're going to spend our entire session on this idea that Scripture is the curriculum. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Uh, The next principle is this, that the mission is clear all of the time. Following one is this, that disciple-making is the underlying cultural identity of the church. As we talked about in the first session, just going through this one real quickly, this is really seen, if if I were to come to your church and I were to sit in a strategy meeting or a finance meeting, I would be able to figure out very quickly is disciple-making the underlying identity, the underlying cultural identity of your church. What are you talking about? What do you want to see happen? What do you hope God is doing it? And how are you willing to to spend money toward it, the resources that we talked about in the first session? Next one is this, that the leaders and staff coach and make disciple makers. Okay, so we're looking for movement. It's not just that we're looking to make disciples. We're looking to make people who are disciples who realize that their mission is also to go and make disciples. So we're making disciple makers. Then because of that, of course, stories of disciple making abound Beyond that, number seven, the expectations are high. We believe that this is God's mission, that he has high expectations. We have high expectations as well. And then what we see, number eight, is that multiplication prevails at every level. In other words, you've got disciples making disciples who make disciples. You've got groups of disciples together that spawn off into new groups who then create new groups as well. You've got churches who plant churches who plant churches This is the way the mission grows. It's multiplication at every level, not just addition. It's multiplication is what we're talking about. Okay, so we don't have really time to talk about the the last six of those. And again, the first two are so important that if these two don't happen, then the rest of it really is is not going to happen. So what we're going to spend our time talking about right now in this session is this idea that Scripture is the curriculum. And here's what we've been saying among this group of North American churches coming together to say, yes, we want to live out these principles. We want to watch God change our culture. So principles come before practices. Practices then lead to an establishment of systems, and it is those systems that come to undergird an emerging culture, not the other way around. So many times we see what someone else is doing, and we think, well, if we just do what they're doing, but we have to have the why behind the what as well. Okay, so Scripture is the curriculum. Here's what we've been saying about this. Until the people of God say yes to the things of God, we should not expect a movement of God. Mm. Well, where do we learn the things of God? It's by being deeply devoted to his word. And I I don't have to tell you, you know this, we, we certainly see two very different paths of Christianity or what's being called Christianity emerging within the face of this nation. Some who determine that we can basically, we can inspire, create our own theology. And others who are saying, no, we've got to hold true to what God has given us. May we be that second group of people. The one who say scripture is the curriculum. And what's important about this is that intentionality prevails when scripture becomes a curriculum in a simple, effective, and reproducible system that leads to obedience or you might call that faithfulness and sharing. That's what's incredibly important about the way we engage Scripture when we allow Scripture to be the curriculum. And I'll just give a quick example of this. Uh, Discovery Bible Study, which Shadonke can talk about, um, is is an example of this, or another that uh, we use where I am is called the three-thirds method. That's another example of this type of intentionality prevailing in a very simple and reproducible system. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you, Shadonke, to talk about why this matters. One, that Scripture is the curriculum. 
then that we are able to have this simple and reproducible system. Why are these things so important as we seek to be people who are setting the stage, hopefully, for movement? Yeah, I think um, one of the things we need to understand is that everything we do in discipleship must be grounded in the Bible. Must be grounded in the Bible. So scripture is really the curriculum. Mm -hmm. It's very important. Um, it's, it's good to read other books, but when it has to do with discipleship, the word of God is the curriculum. So it's very important because we are dealing with his kingdom. We are dealing with his business. And so it's important for us to know the word of God. And the reason why, one is that when we do scripture, when we refer the people back to scripture and help them go through scripture, the thing here is that we are getting the people back to the Bible, back to the word of God. Mm -hmm. You know, so it is important for the people that we are discipling, if they really, truly are in love with Jesus, they will be in love with his word. Mm -hmm. They will be in love with the word of God. So it is important that one thing, one of the reasons for scripture being the curriculum is that you are getting your disciples back into the word of God. It is very important. So that the people will not say the pastor said, they will now say the Bible said. This is what the Bible says, not what the pastor says. Mm -hmm. In as much as what the pastor will say is important, but when they discover from the Bible for themselves, it is a wonderful thing. But secondly, the reason why scripture is very important is because as they look at the scripture, they grow, they easily grow and become matured in the things of God. Maturity is very important. They grow every day. I will tell you people who, some of them never went to school. But today, because of discovery, the discovery Bible studies, or because the the scripture is the curriculum. Those people know so much about the Bible. In their own local language, some of them can quote so many verses. They can explain the word of God, but they never went to school. But the issue here is that because we bring them back and the scripture has become the curriculum of everything we do at every level, they are able to understand the scripture by the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I've done in my trainings around the world is that I have done train with highly educated people and I give them as things to write and they write it. And I've done a train with people who are not quite educated and they write. And then I've done training people who never went to school and they respond verbally, orally. And I look at all of these things and I go back to the commentary. I am surprised at how those who never went to school are really speaking the heart of the professors who wrote the commentaries. And the only person that can do this is God. Mm. So it is important. And I have seen some of these men and women grow. I always share the testimony of my mother. My mother comes from a Muslim background family. My mother never went to school. But because of discipleship today, my mother is one of the leading intercessors in our country. My mother can speak the word of God, teach the word of God. She has discipled people who are highly educated than her. But she never went to school. And there are so many of this type of women. Why? Because scripture is the curriculum. Is the curriculum. The Bible plus nothing else. Is a curriculum. So it helps them to grow. But also you realize that as we use scripture, natural leaders, it develops leaders so easily. Disciple, you see, it is important for somebody to become a disciple before becoming a leader. These are two different things. There are many leaders who have never been discipled. But when somebody is disciple and that person grows into leadership, it's a powerful thing. And as we send them back to the scripture, as you use the scripture, you grow leaders whose heart and mind is fixed on the Lord. Yes. And their desire is to replicate. So it grows leaders, natural leaders, all over the place. And that is helpful for you as a pastor of the church. It's so helpful because you, most of your work is done. They do the work. 
I will tell you how people do the work. There are so many things that is going on in our movement. I have zero idea. It is not my idea. I'm, I'm not there. Zero. Because these people have been disciples and they are doing the work. And we have an easy way that we, we coach people, you know, using the Bible. Easy way. And one of the things is that we train our disciples. The first thing is that you watch me as I do it. I do it and you watch. You watch me how I do discipleship. You watch me how I coach and mentor people. You watch me as I do it. I do it and you watch me. The second step is that we do it together. We now begin to do it together. Oh, you ask five questions. Can you take care of the... So we are all together. We do it together. And the last point is that you do it and I watch. You do it and I watch. Once you are doing it very well, thank you very much, my brother. You are strong. I will continue to coach you on the side, but this is your tax. Very simple. And so that is one of the ways that we have used to train people because the issue here is that it really helps the work to grow fast. But the other thing is that it accelerates the disciple-making process. Mm -hmm. It accelerates it. You know, when you, are, when you take people back to the Bible, it becomes a catalyst for the movement to grow fast. Because there are leaders all over the place who are popping up. I will tell you, so many people who are working in government offices, some of them have their own private businesses. For example, they go to a community to do business. One of the things we have coached and we tell them is that, look, when you go to a place, your first assignment, even if you go to do business or you have been sent there by the government or leaders to work, your first assignment is to look around and see if there's any Jesus option. If there's no Jesus option, that means you are the one God has sent there. In as much as you went there for your business or you are sent by government, know that don't ask for another person, you are the one. And so we have seen so many people who go to areas, communities for their own personal business, but when they realize there's no Jesus option, they now become the people who serve the community. And by the time they are leaving that community, they have either planted a church or multiple churches in the community and leaders. Why? The scripture was the curriculum. Mm -hmm. They don't need to buy new books for the people. All they need is the scriptures. That's all they need. Whether in the local language, that's all what they need. I will tell you, the interesting thing that, you know, when, when we use the scripture, there are times people don't, they are not educated. So what we do is that we do it in the local language. And we have what we call faith comes by hearing. That means the scriptures recorded in the local language. All the books are in the local language. So now, for example, we want to do Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 7. So we press the tape. We put the tape in the center. We press the tape. Matthew 10, 1 to 11. And then they will listen. They will repeat it the second time. There are times the third time, and they will press the pause button. And they will begin to ask the question. You will be surprised. People who have never had the scripture, just listen to that scripture, they begin to answer the questions back. In some of the areas, somebody can be a brand new believer. Somebody is not even a believer. Just come to the uh, this Bible studies. And then maybe we are dealing with Matthew chapter 5 and he can read. And we say, can you read the two verses, please, of Matthew chapter 5? He has never handled Bible, never read the Bible. That's the first time he's reading the Bible. You see, the word of God has power. It can work on its own if we allow the word of God to work on its own. The problem is that we think the word of God needs us. No. It can work on its own. It is powerful to touch the hearts of men and to bring transformation. So we have seen that because of the scripture, it accelerates movements to happen. Mm -hmm. And it raises disciple makers who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. I will tell you this. You know, when you come to meetings like this, there are times I feel ashamed when people say, oh, Shudanke is doing this. I'm telling you, my own part is very small, very limited. 
I only obeyed God at the beginning and, you know, laid my life for this. And now that there's increase, there are so many people who are my leaders, I don't know them and they don't know me. I don't care, but they know Jesus. That's what is important. So when we have our big gatherings, that's the first time some of them will meet me. Oh, oh, yeah, Pastor Johnson, I heard about you. My man, my coach told me about you. That is it. That is it. They don't need to know me. They know Jesus. And they are doing the work of Jesus. High impact, low visibility. I don't need to be seen. Let God be seen. That is one of the reasons when you take people to scripture. The reason is that many of us don't want to retire early. And so therefore we don't want to take the people to scripture. Because we don't want to retire early. Look, brothers and sisters, I am on retirement right now. Because my job is done by so many people. So many leaders can do what I'm doing right now in this place. And I'm grateful to God. Why? We took them back to the Bible. They are reading it. And the last thing I've realized when you take people back to the curriculum, the scripture, obedience becomes a very important thing for them. You have obedient-based disciples who obey not because of what you told them. They obey because of what they are reading every day. Not because of what you told them. They obey the word of God. In small things, in big things. They are authentic as they deal with the word. Obedience becomes a culture. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. All of them will not grow at the same level at the same time. But I'm telling you, they will grow. They will grow step by step. So it is really important that we take the people back to the scripture. Let the curriculum, let the Bible become the curriculum. Let scripture become the curriculum for the people. When we do this, the law will move in a new way. In a new way. I am, I am surprised. We have people. I mean, all type of people call them all abilities. Some of them are beggars. They are crippled. But I'm telling you, they know this word of God so much. They can do discovery Bible studies on their own. Blind people. We have blind church planters. They are blind. But they are planting churches. Blind church planters. Planting churches. Why? The curriculum, I mean, the, the scripture is a curriculum. They are blind. And I'm not talking about one church, multiple churches. There are times it's difficult for you to understand until you begin to take the baby step. Then you will understand. Then you will know that these things are real. And I'm thankful to God. Look, brothers and sisters, in my own estimation, I was a successful church planter before I started making disciples. At least I had planted like nine churches. So in my own definition, I was successful. But I'm telling you, I'm one of the most happiest men living on this planet because of what I have seen God, what God has done because we have used scripture as a curriculum. I have seen, I have come to realize, you see that God, he's looking for men and women who are available and he will use them. He will use them. I have seen it in my own eyes. I have seen children young, Nine years, 10 years, if they handle discovery process for you, you will be surprised. They will handle that without having a book in their hands. They handle it. There are times they ask their parents in a forum like this, 
Daddy, how are you going to obey this passage? What are you going to do? Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. My son, we do discovery. Almost every family in our movement do discovery in the morning. We do discovery in the morning. We do discovery in our offices. We do discovering, you know, whenever we meet, the first thing is discovery. That's just the way it is. There are people in the police who are doing discovery. In the army, doing discovery. In offices, doing discovery. Business people, doing discovery. Drivers, doing discovery. So don't just see a driver and you think because he's a driver, I don't understand. He will tell you some scriptures. So my son, we did a discovery and uh, when we came to the point of our are we statements, you know, and uh, I said, okay, one of my are we statements, we are talking about the power of love. We are discovering the power of love. And I said, uh, what I would do is that to show love, anytime I travel, when I come back, I will take you to the supermarket. That is my I-we statement to you. He said, okay. So I traveled, I came back the first day, I completely forgot. And the second day I was talking to some group of pastors who came to me and my son came. This is the way, he was just at that time about seven or eight years and then he said to me, daddy, your I wish statement. And I'm thinking, what did I say? He said, your I wish statement. You promise that anytime you travel and you come back, you take me to the supermarket. So your I wish statement. Here's my boy, holding me accountable. So I had to, I told all the pastors, please, excuse me. I have to do my I wish statement. We went into the car, went to the supermarket and we bought everything. When we came back home, he said, that's my daddy. You have done your I wish statement. He, at that age, is holding me accountable. Why? The scripture is the curriculum. So we hold each other accountable as a family. There's no powerful tool like the scripture. If we allow it to speak in the lives of people at their own level, at their own level. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to move on to the next question, which is, which is how, in the church, how is the church in Sierra Leone living out this principle? Now, we've been talking about that a little bit already. So, Shadanke, I'd like to come back to maybe a specific way in which this is being lived out in Sierra Leone and why this is so important as it, as it relates to movement. And so uh, what we say is that Scripture is the curriculum, and the way that this, is, this plays out is that we see this, uh, this, this being, being lived through an effective, simple, and reproducible system. Now, we often tend to try to complicate things here, uh, you know, in North America. We're, we're pretty good at that. You know, we like the complex. We don't love the simple. We often look at the simple and determine that it's simplistic. In fact, we'll talk a little bit more about Discovery Bible Study in a minute and just kind of the flow and format. Um, but as we, as we brought Discovery Bible Study, or we use three-thirds in, into our church, it's essentially the same thing. Um, as we brought that into our church, we would get people who would come and push back to it every now and then and say, this is too simple. We don't like studying scripture this way week after week after week. And until we explain to them the connection 
that this simple, effective, reproducible system has to actually being able to move the mission forward and to see movement happen to where anyone can go and do what we're talking about. It's no longer those of us in ministry, the pastors who we're the ones who are the keepers of the word in a sense. You know, we want everybody to be able to do this. So, so how have you seen embracing a simple and effective reproducible system uh, really yield rewards and dividends in Sierra Leone? Yeah, well, I think one of the nature of man is that, especially the modern, the 21st century man, human beings, we love complex things. You know, we take simple things and we make them very complex. And then it becomes a burden to us. Mm-hmm. But God, from the beginning, he will take complex things and make them very simple. Jesus took complex things and made them very simple. I am a man that loves simple things. Very simple things. You see, and the, what we, the Lord enables us to do is that one, we, one thing is that we cannot do this. Those who are leaders or who are the leaders of the church need to buy in. They need to believe that this can work. And when my leaders believe that it can work, we started practicing it. It started with us. Even in your preaching, right? You'll yes. often use the discovery, discovery method yes. through it as, you, as you're so preaching. It started with us. I started implementing it in my home. I will tell you, out of our devotion, family devotion today in my house, a church was planted out of just a family devotion. Other neighbors started to join us. And most of these neighbors were not believers. And I told my wife, well, this is another church plant right here. And eventually we planted a church and the church meets in our balcony. That's where they meet. And it's growing. And that church has planted two churches mm. from that family devotion. So the point here is that we started it. My kids were part of it. Everybody doing discovery. Everybody involved in the Bible. And our leaders, if I, you know, there are some things I will not tell you, but to be honest, for us, you cannot even sing in our gatherings if you are not a disciple or a disciple maker. Even if you have the best voice in the world, you will not sing. Never play any instrument. You have to be a disciple that is a disciple group or you are making disciples. Nobody becomes an elder if you are not making disciples or in a discipleship group. It's not possible. So the standards are very high. The standards are high because we want the culture. So we, we started it and then eventually each of our leaders were coach and disciple to start the process with their families. You see, the thing here is that it starts with families. We started in our families. And then we were able to branch it off to other leaders. Every family started to reproduce another family. And gradually that's how it started to flow. And today we say every member a disciple or a disciple maker. Every member. When you step, when the Lord, you come to know Jesus, the first exposure for you is being in a discipleship. Where you've been discipled. And once you are discipled, we are launching you so that you can also start a discipleship. There are times you will be in a discipleship group and you are starting another discipleship group. So everybody is involved in making disciples. When we meet in our gathering on Sunday, we spend 15 minutes in small group discipleship all over the building, all over the place. And then everybody will come and explain what they have discovered and their eyewitness statement, what they are going to do with what they have already learned for that day. And when we finish our worship, we do our worship. When everybody's on the, like this platform, everybody's there in our big gatherings, we just put what we are going to discover. Maybe discovering the power of forgiveness. We want to talk about forgiveness. Maybe we talk about that weeks and then we pass the mic. Which I just ask the question. That's my job. My job is to ask a question. I don't say a word. And then the mics, is, people are putting their hand up, answering. Everybody on the floor is answering. Everybody is part of the process. And then when we finish, we just pray based on the scripture. What can we pray about? Let's pray that God will give us the heart to forgive. 
Then we pray. And that's it. Our work is done. So we take discovery, the process, that's how we have done it. We have discovery in schools. By the grace of God, through this process that we have been doing, because, you know, it's in Africa, there are so many communities we go. Some of the communities, the only school that is available there is what we call the Quranic school. Just Arabic. No school. So when we go to those communities, church planters go to the communities, they also bring, you know, we use school as a compassion to help the people so that they can be educated. Out of that today, we have 90 schools, three outside of the country and 87 schools with more than 20,000 children. I'm telling you, and some of those schools started under trees, like trees like this. You know, we, we, you see these kids running around the village, 300 kids, 200 kids, 150 kids, no school. We use the school, we come in, help them, educate their children. There's no parent in the world that will not love you when you show the love of Christ by educating their children. Mm. Even the most resistant just open up. And I will tell you some of these kids that have been disciples over the years, some of them have gone to high school, to university and graduated. Some of them are teachers now in these schools. In communities where there have been no modern education. Some kids used to walk miles to school. Every morning, they wake up early, they walk miles, and they walk back after school. Every day, the Lord used us to bring the school to their own community. And that changed. Each of this school, that discovery process is happening there. Universities, we are in more than 20 universities and colleges where discovery process is happening. And we are seeing students in universities being saved and becoming part. I know students who graduated with degrees in engineering or geology and science. And they said, I want to become a church planter. I want to become a disciple maker. That's what I want to become. Some has first degree, some have masters. They said, we want to become because it is in the universities. We do it in prison. In prison. Every Tuesday. There's a discovery happening in prison. People are baptized right in the prison. And most of these guys, when they leave the prison, they come straight and find out where they can meet other disciples. And they're disciples for that. And they become church planters and disciple makers from prison. Their discipleship process in the soccer team. We have a whole department which is just coaches for soccer. You know, if you live in the part of the world, in Africa or Asia, other parts of the world, um, ex- Latin America, Africa, soccer is a religion. <laughs> Football is a religion. And so we have coaches. Their job, they have been disciple well, and so their job is to make sure they disciple other coaches and people who play soccer. That's their job. And so they have this conference, a whole for coaches, and they are discipling them. And they have players that are playing basketball, volleyball, you know, soccer, track and field. So we have several coaches in the movement. Because we are taking discipleship to them. So for us, every area where we need to use the scripture in the discipleship process, we are using it. I will tell you, if you go back home, you will find some people who are um, lieutenants, majors. You know, when they see me, they will salute me. You will think I'm in the army. I am not in the army. They are disciples who are making disciples. So the process is everywhere. For us, no segment is left behind. We have discipleship going on in very different, we call them the ghettos, where people take drugs and all of that. We have guys who are in that background, who God has saved today. And so they, they are running a discovery Bible study among themselves. One of the things that will interest you is that when we do discovery Bible study among these guys, we have an agreement with them that when they are meeting, at least if it's for 40 minutes or 45 minutes, nobody will smoke. Nobody would drink. They all agree. After that, if they want, they can burn down the house. No problem. 
But we know the word of God will continue to take effects in their lives. And we have seen it. But we do it. It is very important. We have seen Discovery Bible studies in those areas. There's hardly any area that God has not affected using us, using the scripture and doing discovery. Hardly any area. And it is interesting for you to note that every area God has a way he is using those men and women to reach out in their own oikos. There are places I will not go, but they will go. There are languages, the, the underground language that I will not understand, but they understand. And that's the neat thing. And they are being saved. They are being saved. And they are becoming disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. So every area is affected. Every area is affected. I will tell you this. If you go to, say, then you get to the airport and you call my name, there will be at least one or two people who say, yes, I know him. Oh, I've heard about him. He trained my leader. And so I will, I will take it to him. It is so interesting in my country. There are some people who, because it's a poor country, some of the guys who ride the motorbikes, they don't have license. When their license expires and the police will stop them, all they will say is that I am a disciple of Pastor Johnson. I'm his disciple. <laughs> and they will say, Are you, do you know him? Yes. I say, okay, well, go, go, go. That is how God has affected the discipleship process. That is what God has done. It is God's story. It's not my story. I am just watching the story. But as Jim said, he is the hero of the story. Yes. He is the main guy of the story. I am just coming under him. But he's the main guy. But that's how we have done discipleship. In, in the morning, you hear families, everybody worshiping in their discovery Bible studies. Discovery has become a lifestyle. It is a culture. Because it is a culture, the small kids know about it. The teens, teenagers know about it. The youths know about it. The young adults know about it. The adults know about it. Those who have never gone to school know about it. Let me tell you a, neat, a very interesting story. One day we were having, a, it was a whole night prayer. Whole night prayer, we say it starts by 12 and we end by 6 in the morning. And so we were having this whole night prayer. We are praying in the place where we were gathered. But this place was not too far from the house where I stayed. While we were praying by 3 in the morning, I started having the impression in my heart to go back to the house and check the doors. I just, the, the impression was just coming, go back to the house and check, go back to the house and check. So I'm saying to myself, but I locked the door. The keys are in my pocket. I have the keys here. So I was resisting. But finally, by 3.30 in the morning, because it was just a walking distance, I went to the house to check. I want you to know, I met my doors widely open. They were widely open. And I had the keys in my pocket. So I said, did I not close the door? Did I make mistake? And so I stepped into the living room. Then I saw a, a guy. He was already, he has already packed a whole bag. He was packing another bag. So while we were praying, he were, we were looking to heaven. He was looking on earth. He was, he had already packed some bags to go along. So I stepped in and I said, who is that? You know, and he said, in our local language, we call it a Creole. Creole is a broken English. And when I said, who is that? That means, now who that? That's Creole, now who that? And then he said, now me, now me. That means it is me. And then I asked him, who that now you? Who are you? And he said again, now me. That means it's me. He was so confident. And then I realized he was a thief. While we were praying, he came and he somehow had to break into the house. You know, in Africa, one thing we do is that we just shout, thief. We don't call 911 because we don't have 911. <laughs> so all we do, we just shout so that people will come and help you. And so people came from the church and, you know, we, <clears throat> we were able to arrest him. 
And you know, in, most times in those areas, people want to give him some beats for what he's doing. It's very easy for that to happen. And I said, no, no, no. Let's take him to where we are praying so that we all pray together. And so we took him to the prayer place where we were praying. And I told him, sit down here while we are praying. And so we sat, he sat down there. He was looking at us while we are praying. And um, some of the young guys that I have, you know, young boys always are frisky. They are always frisky wherever you go in the world. And some of them, we come close by him and they will give him a little bit of kick, you know, like that, just to make sure that you wait. After here, we're going to take you to the police. I've realized that these young men want to deal with him. So by five in the morning, I told him, I said, follow me. So I took him back to my house. I put him in my bedroom. I said, sit down here. And I locked the door. And I came back after the prayer time by six. Everybody said, where's that man? I said, I've released him. He's gone. I said, oh, pastor, you should have taken him into the police. I said, no, no, no. He's gone. So I waited. I went and I mixed a very good breakfast for him. I made nice bread and nice tea, and I brought it. I said, please, eat. And he sat down, he ate. I waited for another one hour when all the, every place was quiet. And I said, I want, to, let's, I want to accompany you to your house. So I went with him to his house. This is a living story. We got to his house. I met his wife and two children. And he introduced me to his wife. He said, this is my friend. Well, we did not show where we met we did not explain about our friendship. And so I said, yes, he's my friend. So I sat down. But when I looked at the environment, I saw abject poverty. I realized that maybe these people have not even eaten for days. So I took money out of my pocket and I gave the wife to go and buy a bag of rice and then some condiments for the home. And then this guy came and accompanied me halfway and he went back. So after days and weeks, we became friends. I'll visit him. And I realized because they were so poor, I bought some clothes for the wife, for the kids, and for him. That guy started to come to our Discovery Bible study. None of the guys could even recognize him. Nobody could recognize him. His wife and his family started to come. And then after some time in the Discovery Bible study, we baptized him. And he also started to lead Discovery Bible Studies. After some time, he decided that he wanted to go to the east of the country to do business. I said, okay. So I released him, he went with his family. After six months, he wrote me a letter. He said, even though I'm, I have come to do business, but I've been thinking about you and the way you treated me and the love you showed me. I really want to become a leader like you, a disciple maker like you. Can you coach me more and train me more so that I will become a disciple maker like you? I said, why not? So I trained him, I coached him for some time. And then he went and planted a church. And then that church planted a church and planted a church. So one day they had a big gathering and he invited me to come and speak in the big gathering. And he told me, can you tell this gathering how we met? Mm. explain to them, I give you the freedom today to share with everybody. And for the first time, his wife knew where we met. <laughs> People were crying. People were weeping. The reason is that the guy is so kind. He is so compassionate. He's showing love to all the disciples he has. He's going the extra mile to make sure they understand the word. But where did he learn it? He said, if he told the people what I am doing today, I got it from this man. Because this man had every right to hand me over to the police. I would have been in jail. But he showed me love. He discipled me. And so I'm passing on what I've received from him. And today he's still planting churches. I want to say this. That's why I call God the impossibility specialist. Mm -hmm. What man cannot do, God can do. Mm -hmm. In the process of making disciples and replicating disciples, multiplying disciples and leaders, it is a divine partnership. Your own part and God's own part. It's a divine partnership. 
God is faithful. He will always do his part. The problem is with us. Mm-hmm. Are we faithful enough to do our own part? The scripture is a curriculum. And that's how God has used it. Not only in our own country, but in other countries where we have taken this thing to is the same testimony. It's the same multiplication. It's the same replication. Wherever we have taken it, even in difficult communities, we have seen breakthroughs because we know that it is a partnership between us and him. Amen. We've only got uh, two minutes left. And so here's, here's how I want to inspire you. Um, the Great Awakening in the United States um, was led by a man who could really preach. Man, he could. Right? How many of us know of Whitfield? We know who he was. Phenomenal communicator. People would drive from miles to hear him preach. The reality is many of us think that Whitfield was the one who led that movement. What we don't acknowledge often is actually Wesley who led that movement. And Wesley acknowledged, I'm not the greatest preacher, but what I am going to do is I'm going to train people, and I'm going to train people quickly to go take the gospel everywhere. And that is how the awakening happened. So what you've heard is Shadonke sharing stories about how ordinary people, very ordinary people, actually, I don't know if some of those folks, they don't sound that ordinary, they, but they, they became ordinary, and then God used them to do extraordinary things. So I mean, these are people, ordinary people would be like you and me. These are people who are <coughs> something else, who God used to do incredible, amazing things, and who God is still using to do incredible, amazing things. The question for us in the North American church is, do we believe that God can do that here? Or are we going to continue to try to embrace the Whitfield model? as opposed to the Wesley model or the model that we're hearing about today, where we allow scripture to be the curriculum, where everybody is called to obey and everybody is called to share. And that's what happens in Discovery Bible Studies. That's what happens in three-thirds. We read a passage and we ask, how can I be faithful? How is God calling me to be faithful? How is God calling me to obey? We read that passage and we ask, Who is God calling me to turn around and share this with? And so in the way we engage scripture are are baked in the the two most important things. How can I be faithful and who can I share with? Mm -hmm. And then the next time we get together, the accountability to ask, were you faithful and who did you share with? We need a lot more of that today than what we have had within our churches. The reality is we have very little sharing happening out of our churches. And we also have probably a low-level obedience happening out of our churches. We've got an addiction here in the United States to needing to understand before we obey. That's not what faithfulness looks like. And so we need to get back to the place where people study Scripture to say, whether I understand or not, that's not the issue. The question is whether I'm going to say yes to what God is asking me, whether I understand it or not. So we need lives live like that to become examples to others. And then those same folks need to turn around and share their stories and share the way that God is working and share the message that God is placing within them so that they can become disciples who make disciples, whether they carry the name pastor or elder or deacon or anything else. That doesn't matter. What matters is, are we disciples who make disciples? And is the system that we're embracing, honoring Scripture as the curriculum, Or is it creating heroes out of us? We need to get back to the place where Jesus is the hero of the story. The word of God is what we're standing on. And in faithfulness, we're living out what God is calling us to and turning and sharing what God is leading us into and with whom God is leading us to. Shadonka, I'm going to ask you if you would close this session in prayer and then We'll hang around here for a little bit, and we also have lunch. If you guys would like to talk, ask questions about how we're starting to live this out within our context, I'd love to have more of those conversations with you as well. But Shadanka, would you close us in prayer? Father, we come to you. You are the only God who, when you touch the ordinary, becomes extraordinary. God, our locations don't really matter. 
What matters is our proximity to you. Mm-hmm. My Lord and my God, mm. we know that intentionality breaks the backs of resistance. If we are intentional in what we do, by your power, you will break every resistance of the enemy. I pray today for your servants, sons and daughters that are in this place right now. I pray God that you will touch their hearts in a new way. That God, you open their hearts in a new way. You increase their faith so that they will know that God can use them. God, I know you have been using many of them, but Father, you want to do more in their lives. And therefore, I pray for more, more in their lives. I pray, God, that you will touch them, you will anoint them, you will give them boldness. Father God, you will use them, God. Through them, God, you will walk your miracles. Your power will move in a new way. God, you normally don't call the qualified, but you qualify those that are called. And therefore, I pray God that everyone that thinks they are not qualified in this place, call them so that you will qualify them. What you did, God, for the disciples of old, God, do for them. They will say, I am not qualified. But you don't call the qualified. You qualify the called. Qualify them now by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, use them in this nation, in their communities, in their families, God. To make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I pray, God, that they will never be happy until they have obeyed you. God, we pray for the courage, we pray for the strength, we pray for the boldness for this men and women to step into the arena and believe you. May you give them understanding of scripture as a curriculum. Give them that understanding, that wisdom that you gave to me, you gave to other disciples, God. Give it to them. Mm-hmm. Father, I pray right now, breathe upon them a new breath of life. Mm. Father, just breathe upon them. Just breathe upon them. Breathe upon the dreams you have given them. Breathe upon the callings you have given upon them. Breathe upon the giftings you have given them. Father, when we meet next, it will be testimonies after testimonies after testimonies of what you have done because they took the baby steps. Help them to start small so that they will end big. Help them to start slow at the beginning so that they will go fast at the end. Thank you, Father. Father, I know, I have the confidence that when we pray, you answer us. Therefore, Father, we know you answer these prayers. And when we meet again, we'll hear testimonies of what you have done in the lives of these men and women. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. God bless you all. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope that it filled you up with hope for the future of what God can do through prayer and through disciple making. Hey, if you haven't already, I would really appreciate it if you would check out the discipleship.org slash collective. That's our platform where we have live shows and it's just a great resource for you as a disciple maker. So go check that out. That's discipleship.org slash collective. All right. Thanks so much for listening and I hope to catch you on the next episode. See ya. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. 
There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.